All right, welcome back to the Canadian Gun Vault Behind the Vault Door. My name is Mark Morelli. I'll be your podcast host. You know, uh, I've been accused of talking too fast at times. Uh, I, I just always tell people I have a lot to say and just have very little time to say it. And uh, But the truth is, is that I've um, definitely uh, decided to slow down a little bit. If you guys have noticed in the Instagram postings, I'm starting to ease off a little bit in some respects. Uh, you know, it's really difficult uh, to be on several different platforms uh, simultaneously and get back to everybody. Uh, for everybody that's, you know, been hoping to get out shooting with us, uh, you know, we're getting to you. It takes it takes a little time to find uh, space in the schedule. We've got uh, so much going on in the background that you guys can't see. And uh, I've been very, very fortunate to work with the talented people I have, and uh, we definitely have some great things coming your way. Uh, certainly, certainly a couple of surprises. Uh, definitely one of them. Uh, right out of the uh, right out of the shoot, we're gonna look at that M M4 Benelli clone uh, that they got come in. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Benelli product. You know, being Italian, uh, I'm kind of, uh, you know, biased, but to have the, an opportunity to own uh, a Benelli, you know, clone, and, you know, it looks pretty good. And I'm hearing that, you know, people are pretty pleased with the quality, and I've got it on good word that uh, this one's going to be amazing. You know, coming in at 700 bucks a pop, it's like almost a quarter of what the real deal cause, uh, costs, rather. And uh, there's going to be, a lot of people interested in that type of platform, especially when it's been so popular in video games and, uh, you know, in the hands of trained uh, tactical personnel. You know, the Benelli is definitely, uh, you know, the, the premier, you know, traditional tactical shotgun, you know, not a range toy. And so to have an opportunity to own one of those for uh, seven bills, uh, you know, Trigger Wholesale is going to be bringing some in. We, you know, love to give you guys a news here first uh, for the people listening in. The Trigger Wholesale has authorized the release of not one, not two, not three, but five uh, of these incredible. I know they're going to be fantastic. Uh, they really look good. I'm, I'm really looking forward to shooting them. Uh, M4 Benelli clones. And so we're uh, waiting on some of the details. We're hoping to have it uh, in our hands within the next week. Uh, we'll get it up for some testing and let you guys know if it's uh, worth it or not. Uh, I can't. If it goes bang, it's going to be worth it because it really does look the part. And I've fired real M4 Benelli's before, and I'm really looking forward to actually putting them both side by side and uh, doing a little back-to-back -back comparison and deciding whether or not it's worth the money. You know, uh, ultimately, you know, we like to give you guys honest reviews here at the Canadian Gun Vault. Uh, I've come across, you know, quite a few platforms uh, in the last year that I've fallen in love with and, you know, some others I have not. But, uh, you know, we're... <laughs> We're very, very uh, lucky to be working with uh, incredible people within the industry, and uh, having an opportunity to shoot these guns has been really incredible. Uh, I haven't gotten out into the lines as much as I'd like to, uh, you know, to meet the public and to spend time with uh, people that haven't seen me before. But you know, we're we're getting out more and more often now. Uh, you know, we, we're shooting at various clubs all over Southern Ontario. If you see us, please come by and say hi. Uh, you know, I've met some really cool uh, people lately. Uh, this one kid, Warren, he he stood behind me for a little bit. I didn't realize that you know he was waiting for me. I thought maybe he wanted a spot on the table, and we were you know close to finishing up anyway. So you know, I was ready to start clearing up space when uh, I was advised that he you know wanted to meet me and thanked uh, thank me for making uh, you know uh, good videos for him to watch. And and uh, that he was enjoying them. And, and I was truly flattered. 
Um, you know, and I always am, and I never really know what to uh, say or do in situations like that. But uh, I definitely I would like to think that uh, Warren would be able to, you know, approach us in the future. I told him, uh, please, if you see me here and, you know, I don't recognize you right away, like, you know, come right up, say hi and remind me. And, uh, you know, I'm on my way out right now, but. Uh, you know, I'd love to see you here again if you're uh, going to be shooting around here. And and so, you know, uh, to have um, to have an opportunity to shoot, you know, firearms that you might not ever get to see again is one of the things that we do at the Canadian Gun Vault. And we've been having a lot of fun doing that and uh, sharing, you know, our passion for firearms with members of the public. Uh, as they come into the uh, various gun clubs and you know it's been it's been really really uh, you know a fascinating journey seeing um, you know people take on that uh, that role uh, you know <laughs> it, like I, I came across people that I've known for years uh, you know very very uh, generous with uh, you know how they share their uh, their their activity with with others and it really pleases me to see so many shooters out there, you know, they're, they're there with friends. I'm seeing more and more of it every day. Uh, you know, uh, people I've seen there coming solo uh, are bringing their friends out now. And anybody that's been listening uh, knows that I really do believe that that's the path that we are going to need to take to win over the public that are unfamiliar with firearms. Let's introduce them to what we love. I really think there's going to be some fantastic merit in it. And certainly the conservative leadership knows, um, you know, our important role in the uh, dismissal of uh, what I believe to be the world's worst uh, Canadian government in the history of, uh, you know, bad government. And, uh, I mean, you know, I'm seeing the latest polls indicating that, you know, the conservatives are far in the lead. Uh, for everybody out there that was pulling for Max, you know, I'd hate to say it, but, uh, you know, if he hasn't flown the flag hard and high by now, uh, he's not going to have much of an impact. And, uh, you know, that's not to say that he wouldn't be a good leader. Uh, it's just not his time. And I really do think that we've got now this, you know, fantastic opportunity. And whatever you do, folks, uh, don't believe the polls. You know, just keep spreading the good word and letting people know exactly how shitty this government has been to the Canadian people. And I'm sure come Election Day on October 21st, uh, 2019, Canada will speak up loud and clear about what we want Um in terms of direction this this country's going to take. You know, if you listen to Justin Trudeau, everybody's happy. And I don't believe that to be true. I think that the uh, latest wins in uh, PEI, you know, would be a clear indication of that. Uh, places that have traditionally and typically uh, gone with the red flags, uh, you know, are now flying the blue banner. And so, you know, definitely got to, you know, keep going. Uh, I think it's really important that everybody get out and do a little bit of shooting and talk a little politics and uh, not get themselves into any hot water, hopefully with family. I know several of you out there have, you know, liberal family members. I, you know, I'm sorry. You can't pick your family. <laughs> but you can talk to them. And, you know, if you have the ability at all to reason with them, you may want to enlighten them and say, look, let's just sit down and we'll discuss it. 
And if they, if they're unwilling to do it, you know, even talk about it, then, you know, move on to the next case and uh, not, uh, not spend too much time on it, but uh, definitely try, uh, try to reach out to those liberal friends of yours and help them see the light. I, I think everybody in the conservative camp is pretty much settled in their ways now. Uh, you know, it's important we reach as many people as possible. And that does include uh, former liberal supporters. And, and I think anybody, anybody in their right mind after uh, watching the news lately, you know, over the course of the last couple of months, you know, would would have some doubt uh, about this government's um, you know, good intentions uh, as it relates to you know helping this country you know <laughs> come back. Like, I mean, I'm seeing just a decline everywhere. Like, I mean, you don't even really even have to talk about guns in order to kind of effectively make your point. You know, you you just need to talk about things like freedom of speech, uh, some of the immigration policies. I know somebody in the audience right now is probably standing on a chair and saying, hey, you're a racist. I'm saying, no, no. Like, I mean, there, there have been some security issues uh, re- relating to illegal immigration in our country. And you don't have to be a racist or a bigot uh, to be concerned about who's coming into your house, you know. And, and that's that's how I like to describe it to people. I think it's really important. You know, that uh, when you think about letting people into this country, uh, there is a legal process by which they can do it. And certainly, you know, jumping the line and diminishing, you know, the effort, the time and the patience of all the people that have chosen to go through uh, the legal channels to gain entry into our country, which is it was designed, you know, in a way that uh, people could safely come into the country, and so people could, um, you know, come here and get the help they need and get started uh, without just, you know, like walking across the border, which really screams out, "You don't have any respect for our laws," and, and that's that's our first sign that there's a problem. And if you think I'm some far right tinfoil hat wearing, you know, idiot, uh, in addition to being a racist and a bigot, like, I mean, I I was a police officer for 20 years and I could tell you that, you know, uh, if somebody's breaking the law, you know, there's just a couple of reasons that could happen. I mean, they, they don't know any better. These people know what they're doing. They're, they're making a conscious choice to, you know, in some cases take taxi cabs and, you know, walk across the border with their cell phones and suitcases. Like, I mean, if you've ever seen people fleeing a country, they tend to not flee with suitcases. Um, you know, they show up with very little fleeing means like you're in a hurry. And so, you know, they're, they're not fleeing, uh, you know, uh, some war torn third world country, you know, they're coming across our border from the U S and while, um, while there may be absolutely nothing wrong with that, there are legal channels that are available to them and they're choosing not to, uh, which screams out a complete lack of respect for our, our laws. And of course, you know, if you subscribe to, uh, you know, nationalist type theories, you know, they don't have any respect for our laws. They're hoping to institute Sharia law, you know, Muslim, the Muslim community, you know, and and I have no concerns about the Muslim community. I I have problems with radical terrorism. Uh, I definitely have problems with people believing certain things are okay. Um, I would have a problem with anybody that decided to uh, harbor or or hide, you know, radical elements. You know, I'm, I'm worried about my personal safety and the personal safety of every member of the public. I did that for 20 years. I don't think, I don't think I have to be a racist or a bigot, uh, to be concerned. And if people aren't being vetted and cleared, uh, properly and are being allowed to gain entry into our country. And I mean, you could sit there and listen to Bill Blair and Ralph Goodale say that everything's okay. And there's a rigorous process and you have to trust, you know, our, uh, our, you know, 
our personnel that are handling this matter. Like, you know, I, I don't trust anything that comes out of their mouths. I don't trust Ralph Goodell. I, I know that he sees, you know, that there's absolutely zero merit in changing the gun laws, and yet they keep on trying. And, I mean, they're lying about statistics. They have been for a while. Uh, they brought in the doctors, you know, and uh, got a few liberal elements that ordinarily gain trust uh, within the public. I mean, even Bill Blair being there. Like, I mean, he's the former Toronto police of, uh, chief of police. So there's kind of like an instant credibility that goes along with his title because you you want to trust the police um however i don't trust bill blair like i mean he's looking at the statistics the numbers don't lie uh the canadian uh firearm community is not responsible uh in you know by and large for any kind of violent crime and all the laws address those issues unless there's a deficiency in the system that you don't want us to know about uh, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason uh, for why anybody would want to punish the only group obeying the laws and yet they still do. So, I mean, I, it screams out agenda. And certainly, um, you know, it, it begs the question, do you trust the people involved in this? So, I mean, you know, you're you're asking me to trust your process. You know, uh, there's a backlog that the conservatives have been, you know, worried about for well over a year. Uh, I remember Michelle Rumpel uh, very, uh, very clearly saying that we have a problem with illegal border crossers. And, you know, we can't sustain the kind of uh, the money that it'll take to, you know, house and take care of these people for the duration of their uh, claim. And, and, you know, once their application's processed and they have a hearing, you know, it's, it's going to cost the taxpayers ridiculous amounts of money. So, and nobody wanted to do anything about it. And they just continued to allow it to happen. And of course, you know, they asked the question several times, you know, what, what is the exact number to date? And of course, you know, they really didn't have an answer. Uh, there, you know, there, there have been something like 60 known terrorists that had entered, re-entered into the country. And, you know, you really don't get a clear answer, you know, like just trust our policing services are watching it. And, you know, that that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Um, you know, so again, you know, without being a racist, without being a bigot, um, you know, I don't trust the people that are in charge of making sure that I'm OK. I, I don't trust the people that have been, <laughs> you know, entrusted to take care of my safety, you know, and, and, and that argument comes up a lot, you know, especially in the U.S. You hear it quite often. It's like, you know, hey, it's. It takes, you know, uh, minutes to dial 911. My answer, you know, to saving my life doesn't have to wait for the police. And the U.S. the U.S. people feel very strongly about that. That you know, your your own personal safety is your own responsibility, and it is not that of a police service. And it's not a well-known fact, but police are under no legal obligation, uh, you know, to jeopardize their lives to save yours. They're under no legal obligation to take care of you. Um, they, you know, they can be found, you know, neglectful in their duties, but there's no law though that says that they have to, you know, lay down their life for you. I, I, I knew hundreds of men and women that would have gladly, uh, put themselves in harm's way to take care of people that they don't even know, uh, probably don't even like, uh, given some of the treatment that they receive, you know, it's really hard being a police officer today. And that's, that's another subject I, you know, wanted to discuss. Uh, I really feel bad for today's uh, modern police officer. And when I say that, I mean, I've been retired for a few years now, but I saw the direction things were heading in. I mean, you're constantly criticized. You're under, you're constant scrutiny. Um, you know, it's very, very much an underpaid job. If you think about the risks that they run on a daily basis, uh, I think if you took Joe Average from an office that makes sixty thousand dollars a year and told him, you know, every single day he came into work, somebody might try to kill him, uh, he'd probably want more money and a lot. 
and you know, uh, you know, police are a very special breed. And uh, those those people out there that are listening, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, police officers are, are wired a little differently than uh, most of the average citizens of any country. Uh, they're, they're more than willing to run in the direction of uh, a massive problem where people could get hurt. While everybody's running out of the building, police are running in. And in that respect, I think that uh, police are truly underappreciated. And, you know, of course, I'm biased. I was one for quite some time. But I, I can tell you that, you know, when you have a real problem and you need them, you want them there like now. And, you know, I, I worked with hundreds of people that were selflessly serving their communities under, uh, you know, <laughs> the worst of circumstances uh, with little resources. Uh, when I say that, I mean, if you think that this, you know, your, your police organization is, you know, this well-oiled, um, you know, fast running you know, machine, you know, that, that, that is perfect. And, you know, you, you see the uniforms and you think that, you know, they got their shit together. I can tell you that it, it's not the case, you know, uh, in, in many instances, you know, everybody's had to suffer through budget cuts and, uh, you know, deal with older equipment. And, you know, like I said, you know, doing twice as much work with half the resources. And I used to laugh and say three times the punishment if you screw up. And so, you know, I've seen, a, you know, a lot of good people leaving services lately. And I know it's, you know, with good reason. There used to be a time when you would see policemen uh, staying into their 32nd, 35th year. I saw some 40-year men, you know, like uh, the joke was is you'd either go kicking and screaming or you'd be kicking and screaming to get out of here. And, you know, you don't see those guys anymore that are hanging out beyond, uh, you know, those years. I, I could see them lowering the age uh, you know, where, whereby you could leave the service and, and collect your full pension. And that, that number to me would be somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 25 years. I, I really think that, you know, for a lot of young police officers coming into this, uh, they should prepare themselves for, you know, the things they're going to see and, uh, you know, what they're going to be asked to do. You know, you're going to immerse yourself in human misery. And, you know, you have to take on, if you want to do a good job, you know, you got to take on some of that. And that doesn't mean take it personally, but you, you bring some of that home with you. And they do a pretty good job, you know, now at the police college, you know, and at the block training level, uh, educating people about how they, you know, collect baggage as the years go on. And, you know, anybody who's been a police officer for more than, you know, 10 or 15 years probably will attest that, you know, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you are, you know, eventually you'll take something home with you that will leave you a little marred. Um, you know, I've seen members of the service leave for various reasons. Uh, I've seen people, you know, that have gone their entire career being exposed to the absolute, you know, armpit of humanity and, you know, it, it never you know, bat an eyelash. Uh, I've seen others, you know, see something horrible within their first, you know, year of service and, you know, call it quits. I remember uh, one of our officers, you know, a friend of mine used to work out with him. Uh, he decided that he was going to commit suicide in his cruiser. And of course, I happened to not be working that night. I was working the following morning and I was driving by in my car uh, right past the, you know, the station I worked at. And I saw four police cars, you know, just ripping out of there. And uh, every one of them came out of that station lot. You know, the, the road was clear, but, um, you know, looked like all those cars were on like two wheels. Uh, they were hustling. And what I didn't realize is they were going to the location he was at. 
And of course, you know, the first people to arrive on scene were, you know, a very young female officer I know and uh, one of my other former colleagues. And, you know, what they saw there was somebody who had obviously seen uh, no other way out. And it was very sad. And uh, certainly for the people that, you know, knew him uh, well, you know, it would have been horrible uh, to see a colleague, a friend, you know, like that. And uh, they were never the same. Uh, the young lady uh, retired uh, from uh, the service within within the year, if I remember correctly. You know, and often I, I think back, you know, to, you know, our conversations and a uh, good kid. She would have made a great cop. You know, had a brilliant, uh, brilliant mind. I was younger and, uh, you know, spunky and, you know, had, had a great attitude. And, you know, looking now uh, back at those days, a lot of people did. But now I'm seeing this horrible dark shift um, in the morale of policing. It's been on the gradual, you know, decline for you know the better part of a decade. I've seen, but I've seen this this decline in, in morale, and, we, and with good reason. Uh, there definitely is, you know, a lot of work, good hard work that goes on that's uh, not appreciated. Uh, I think I think if you really put yourself out there, you know, in any line of work, and it wasn't acknowledged. I mean, they they say you know they say they acknowledge people, but uh, the truth is is that you know a lot a lot goes unseen, and uh, that's not to say that the administration is completely faulted. I mean, it's it's difficult to keep track of you know uh, 800 or so uh, A-type personalities all you know doing good things. And I mean, once you read you know a few hundred reports, I'm sure they start to look the same after a while. Uh, but but. Within the service, I see so many frontliners doing incredible things every single day. And, uh, you know, even now as a retired police officer, uh, every time I, you know, see a cruiser, I, you know, I look back fondly on my years, uh, but know that the person in that car is really, really uh, taking on a large burden. And uh, for someone to do that, uh, you know, it's got to be a real calling, you know, if you really want to enjoy the work. Uh, I did for certainly a long time, uh, but, I, you know, I had my concerns. You know, before I left, I saw things I wasn't pleased with, you know, and uh, for every frontliner out there that feels uh, some degree of frustration with the administration, I completely sympathize with you. More than anything, I sympathize with you because you really can't speak out against it. I mean, anybody who uh, is currently an active member of a police service will tell you, you don't have an opinion. You can't. You know, if you talk to the media, you're in trouble. If you express an opinion that runs contrary to departmental policy or standards, uh, you're in trouble. It doesn't matter what time of day it is, working or not, uh, the truth is, is when you become a police officer, you give up the right to have an opinion. And nobody out there is going to tell me otherwise, because I know this is true. And it's really sad. You know, there's things that would and should be said that aren't. You know, a lot of good people are failing within the uh, police services these days. I think it's a real problem. And uh, more and more, it's becoming prevalent. I, you know, I keep my ear to the ground. Uh, I don't talk to too many people from the service anymore, but the ones I do definitely, uh, definitely have indicated to me that there's a real problem growing systemically uh, within policing. People going off on stress leave and PTSD left, right, and center. People, people are sick and hurt and, uh, you know, are off. And the number 
years have never been worse, which is dangerous. And that's something that, in addition to placing uh, an excessive and undue workload on the remaining people that actually show up and work hard, and then to you know scrutinize them to the inch, you know, to an inch of their lives, it's a recipe for disaster. Basically, you wear people out until they screw up, and then you jump on them when they screw up, which makes them screw up more. And then next thing you know, you've got a service full of idiots that are all up on police charges, or saying, "I don't." care. I'm not going to do that again. And, you know, don't even get me started on the whole do what you're told thing. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, police officers are told what to do and they have to make a decision. Uh, it's their job or they do what they're told. And, you know, that's something that, you know, has always concerned me. Uh, you know, I see this government instituting policies that the Canadian people are not getting behind. And, you know, I worry, I look at what's going on. Like, I mean, we have some of the same thought processes uh, have been uh, entertained and or placed into effect in uh, countries like France, you know, Venezuela, you know, the countries are falling apart. Like, I mean, Venezuela is like a ticking time bomb. Uh, you know, the military are shooting at their own people. Uh, you know, a few years back, they took away the guns for no apparent reason. And then, of course, you know, I love hearing on the news. It's like, well, they gave up the right to own guns. So the military is the only one with the guns. So I guess they're running the show. And, you know, for everybody out there that you know, is wearing a tinfoil hat that says, aha, he finally understood. No, like, I, I think I think it's just the natural progression. You know, if you institute policies that make people unhappy, you know, you start to disarm people. Uh, you know, the more unhappy people out there that have access to guns, the more concerned you get. Uh, Michael Wernick's comment, uh, you know, being concerned about people using term terminology like traitor, treason. Uh, those are the kinds of words that are used by people that um, you know, usually, you know, it just precipitates, uh, you know, an act of violence involving a firearm. What? Like, I mean, okay. Like maybe you're just getting a little nervous because you guys are misbehaving so badly, you know, like, is that it? Cause like, I mean, the legal firearm community, we haven't threatened anybody. If we did, we wouldn't be part of the legal firearm community. You know, the truth is that you, you can't keep a license if you threaten anybody. So I, I would remind everybody out there, keep your cool when you're putting comments online. Uh, I don't believe that it's, uh, too big a stretch to think that they will, um, you know, be watching closely enough to see if you make any kind of commentary that could be interpreted as threatening. I understand one person has been charged already, but uh, definitely watch your step out there, folks. Uh, there's uh, probably a team of monkeys working around the clock trying to figure out who they can take guns away from. Uh, you know, if you give them a good reason, they will. Uh, if you keep your cool and you stay composed and you present intelligent argument, I invite you to stay on the page and express your mind. I definitely get on our Facebook and Instagram pages and, uh, you know, speak, speak up. Uh, don't be afraid to uh, say what's on your mind and uh, exercise your right to free speech. We're hopefully not going to get shut down like some of the other pages. I understand uh, a couple of the uh, farther right wing pages have been eliminated from Facebook, uh, from YouTube. Uh, you know, I think Instagram has been hit by a couple of things as well. And you, uh, if we put ourselves in a position where we can get shut down, we will. Uh, I don't want to see that happen. So I'd like to keep on going as long as we can. So remember, folks, always be on your best behavior. They're watching. Anyway, that's about all the time I have for tonight's episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to like and subscribe to us on YouTube. And as always, Canada, don't forget to shoot straight. Stay safe.